from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. How can we look at those patterns and understand what's happened on this landscape? There's so much to see in those rapids laser imaging um, detection and ranging, which allows us to take really high resolution measurements of the topography. If we can understand how this river behaves and erodes, we can take that knowledge and apply it to many other rivers that might be a lot more harder to access. The river working really hard to drive its way through all of these fractures rounded holes that have been formed in the rock where pebbles have gotten caught and spun around and spun around and spun around to drill down deeper pools where all of the sediment from that big reservoir failure has been dumped. I'm Sarah Fenske. If you grew up anywhere near the Ozarks, you're probably familiar with shut-ins. Places like Johnson's shut-ins are popular destinations for swimming and hiking. But for researchers at Washington University, they're not just ideal places for recreation. They're also places for research. And joining us now to tell us more about these unique rock formations and her research is Claire Masteller. She is an assistant professor of Earth and Planetary Sciences at Washington University. So Claire, welcome. Thank you for having me. So let's start with the basics. What exactly is a shut-in? So a shut-in is a place along a river where that river encounters really resistant rock. And so to flow through that rock, the river needs to get steeper and get deeper to exert more power onto that rock to erode it, which leads to these really narrow sections of the river as that river moves through and tries to erode that resistant rock. And it, does that mean there tends to be more white water in those areas? It's, it's moving fast. Right, exactly. So in order to get steep, it needs to move fast, and you get these rapid sections. So I have to admit, before I moved to Missouri, I had never heard of shut-ins other than, like, you know, a hermit that you might read about. I didn't know this definition of shut-ins. Is Missouri one of the only places that has these? So Missouri is not one of the only places that has them, but throughout the Ozarks, there are many examples of shut-ins, which are really striking and lucky for us at WashU, very accessible as well. Is this something that you were familiar with in your research before you came to WashU? So yeah, so I'm a geomorphologist, which means that I study the science of scenery, what landscapes look like and how they evolve. And particularly, I focus on rivers. And so as part of looking at mountain rivers, we sometimes encounter these features. But before landing in the Midwest and at WashU, I had never seen one in person before. <laughs> wow. So this was like part of your research and you finally got to like see it in the flesh. Right. Exactly. And was it as exciting as you imagined? Oh, yeah, absolutely. When you um, arrive at the state park and walk down the boardwalk and see those big rock formations, and those big blocky rocks that the river has to run through um, for the first time. It's really beautiful and striking. So you're talking about uh, Johnson's shut-ins there? Yes. Yeah, so we're doing research specifically at Johnson's shut-in state park, although there are many shut-ins across the Ozarks. And what about Johnson's? I feel like that's the one you always hear about people going to for recreation. It's also good for research. Right. So it's great for research for the same reasons that it's great to go for recreation. It's super accessible. Um, it's very navigable for us on foot as we want to wade through the river and take different measurements. Um, it's also interesting because it's 
right downstream of the Talmsock Reservoir, which failed in 2005. Mm. And so we can think about how that large flood wave moved through the river and did work towards erosion and changing the shut-ins during that period. So do you see bigger implications for this research by looking at this one sort of exciting recreation area? We're learning something that's important. Right. Yeah. So absolutely. So like I said before, shut-ins are not specific just to southern Missouri. You can see shut-ins in rivers um, all over the world in many different regions. Um, and so we're interested in using Johnson shut-ins as a type example to say if we can understand how this river behaves and erodes, we can take that knowledge and apply it to many other rivers that might be a lot more harder to access or where we can't take as high quality measurements, but we can trans we can transport some of the understanding that we build at Johnson shut-ins into predicting how other systems that have similar processes at play might evolve in the future. So for people who aren't up to speed on their Johnson shut-ins, there are people in Missouri who haven't <laughs> been there yet. Uh, we should mention it covers more than 8,700 acres. That's in the East Fork Black River. That's in Reynolds County, Missouri. Not that far from here. No, not that far. Only about a two-hour drive. So that's good for research, too. Yes, absolutely. So tell us about this research you're doing there on site. I understand you're using drones. Yeah, so we are using um, unoccupied aerial vehicles or drones to make measurements of the shut-ins. Um, the reason that we're using drones is because we're able to cover a much wider area than we would be able to cover on foot. And we're able to use special technology called LIDAR, which is also called laser imaging um, detection and ranging, which allows us to take really high resolution measurements of the shape of the river, the topography of the river, which we can then repeat over and over again to see how the river might change in response to different flood events. How frequently are you going to be going back to the same spot you've already been? So we hope to go back uh, multiple times a year, potentially every couple of months to take a new flight um, with the UAV and get new topographic measurements of the river. And we can compare those measurements and see how the river changes. So bedrock erosion, like what happens at the shut-ins is pretty slow. So luckily, we don't have to make that two-hour drive more than a couple times a year. But you are seeing changes throughout the year. I mean, you mentioned, I think, when you were describing the very nature of shut-ins, that these are places that are resistant to that kind of change. Right. So they are resistant to that kind of change. But when large floods roll through, they do exert some power that helps the river to erode. And so you can imagine that as rocks or sediment moves through the river, that those rocks collide with these big blocks of the shut-ins and help to slowly chip away at them and wear them down. Mm -hmm. In a really big flood, you can even rip up whole pieces of rock from the bed and change um, change the river a lot more drastically. So Johnson shut-ins won't necessarily always be the shut-ins that we know. Yeah, so it is likely that eventually those shut-ins will erode. It might take thousands of years, but we can get a little bit of insight over a couple of years to get a sense of how quickly that might be happening. So what makes these rocks so capable to standing up to what looks like, frankly, just a battery of water coming at them? So... These are igneous rocks. They're quite hard, quite robust compared to the rocks around them. And you can imagine that a single pebble hitting against the rock isn't able to do that much work. And so it really depends on the size of the floods and how many of those pebble impacts make contact with the rock that allows it to slowly chip away. And so these rocks are just harder than the rocks around them, hmm. which has allowed them to sustain their shape 
a lot um, more easily than other stretches of the river. So this is also interesting. And I understand this drone component, the fact you're able to drill down in that way. This is something brand new to this type of research. Right. So LIDAR itself is not a new technology, but typically it hasn't been, um, it's been bulky. So typically you would fly LIDAR on a plane so very far from the river, which means that we can't see a lot of details about those blocks, or you would have to lug out a ground-based instrument as well, which doesn't allow you to get those nice overhead views that we really want to look at to get the full scope of the river. So UAV-based or drone-based LIDAR is a great solution because we can get the high resolution of allowing our laser our instrument to be very close, but we can also get this wide coverage that we wouldn't be able to get on foot. And so LiDAR units only recently have become small enough and portable enough to be able to be mounted on these UAV systems. So to my knowledge, there's maybe only one or two others available that folks are using right now to take these sorts of measurements. So I understand you've got a grant to work with a local geospatial company. This is Infralytics? Um, Infralytics, yes. Um, and so we have a small seed grant from T-Rex. Um, to work with Infralytics to take our UAV collected LIDAR and automate the process of extracting all of the fracture planes from these bedrock blocks to identify how big are these blocks, how easily might they be able to erode in the future, and to do that automatically rather than doing it by hand. Um, so we can repeat it in other places if we're able to take similar measurements and shut-ins beyond Johnson shut-ins in the future. So it's interesting, Missouri isn't just a place that has an uncommon amount of shut-ins. It seems like St. Louis is also an area where the geospatial industry is absolutely taking off. This seems like a really felicitous combination. Right, exactly. And so being able to leverage the expertise of all of these geospatial startups that are coming up in their region the beautiful geology and the rivers in southern Missouri and the UAV technology that we um, have in the Earth and Planetary Sciences Department in at WashU allows us to make a lot of process towards answering these bigger questions about how the shape of a river like Johnson shut-ins integrates information about the floods that it sees and how it might change in the future. So this isn't just good news for you, it's also good news for the undergrads that you're working with. Exactly, yes. And so I should mention that part of this research was um, undertaken by a junior undergrad at WashU named Jordan Neely. And so Jordan received a summer um, undergraduate research grant to go down to Johnson shut-ins um, throughout the summer and take additional measurements and start working with these geospatial measurements and and drone-based measurements as well to explore some of these research questions that I've talked about. So that seems huge. If, if somebody gets this kind of experience as an undergrad, what's something that they might be able to do with that down oh, the road? Absolutely. This is a great opportunity for Jordan, and we hope to make these opportunities available to many more of our undergraduates as well, because the skills that she's learning by doing this sort of feature extraction on rocks in a river can be so easily transported to many other fields of study. And so this feature, this automated feature detection is not something that is specific to geology or to looking at rocks. You can also use similar things to look at different road patterns or to look at patterns of 
cells on slides mm -hmm. um, or in medical images. And so the underlying skills of geospatial analysis can be applied to many fields beyond the research that Jordan's doing now. So she could also maybe become a geomorphology professor like yourself. This has <laughs> me a little curious about your story. What got you hooked on this field? Uh, that's a great question. And so um, I, I mean, I grew up in on the Jersey Shore, so not so much topography there yeah, either. Yeah, that doesn't seem as, as exciting rock-wise. No, absolutely not. Um, but as when I went to college, I was an environmental studies major because I was interested in things like climate change and sustainability. And as um, part of my education, I had to take a geomorphology class. And we went to uh, White Sands, New Mexico, which is... Uh, the largest gypsum dune fields in the world. Hmm. And as we were standing there and thinking about what had to happen to make this dune field, it all clicked for hmm. me to be like, oh, look at these beautiful patterns on Earth's surface that we all live on that are so dynamic, that change with wind, with water, with ice, with fire. How can we look at those patterns and understand what's happened on this landscape? And for me, that was really the eureka moment. I love that. So a required class led you to your life's work. Yep, exactly. <laughs> Who would thought? Yeah, I mean, I, it's it's great. It's great sometimes to be forced to do something. Like you end up finding your passion. And I imagine for other people going to Johnson shut-ins, they might have that same moment where everything clicks for them. They might not even know what geomorphology is, frankly. But being there, they might have that same feeling you have. So for somebody who's never been there before, what would you recommend? Like, what's the best place to get started? Uh, so the, the best place to get started is to go look at those um, rock outcrops and those rapids. There's so much to see in those rapids. You can see the river working really hard to drive its way through all of these fractures. You can also see these potholes or these sort of rounded holes that have been formed in the rock where pebbles have gotten caught and mm -hmm. spun around and spun around and spun around to drill down into these rocks. Um, you can climb up and downstream and look at these deeper pools where all of this sediment from that big reservoir failure has been dumped and is just sitting and waiting for that next big flood. It's really, uh, it's a really striking place with so much interesting geology and geomorphology to go see. I love how you describe this. I mean, I feel like you're just telling people exactly what to look for. They might really have that breakthrough. One would hope. <laughs> <laughs> well, Claire Mosteller, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. And Claire is an assistant professor of Earth and Planetary Sciences at Washington University. This episode was produced by Emily Woodbury with audio engineering by Aaron Dorr and production assistance from Jane Mather Glass. It was mixed and edited by Aaron. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis.
Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com.